Our scripture lesson is taken again from the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3, page 278 in the Pew Bible, page 278, Judges chapter 3, beginning at verse 5 and reading through verse 11 with particular attention to verses 7 through 11. Judges 3, verse 5, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was, not, was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel, who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenez, Caleb's, younger brother. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest forty years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Thus far the reading of God's word. May God add his blessing to it. Beloved of the Lord, the two introductions to the book of Judges have showed us that the Israelites began well in driving out the Canaanites from the promised land, but they, uh, they did not persevere. They were more interested in settling in and working the land and building the kingdom, as it were, that they grew tired of fighting against God's enemies. And so made covenants with them or agreements with them to let them live. Because of this, that they ended up uh, living alongside uh, pagans, Canaanites, who did not uh, worship the true God but worshiped false gods. And because they were living side by side with these people, they were tempted to intermarry both literally and culturally and adopt the gods of the, and the culture of the Canaanites. God's anger, we're told, burned against them for this, and he sold them into hands, the hands of cruel oppressors, both from within and outside the land, which in time caused the people to cry out to God in true repentance. And of course, when they did so, God showed mercy. He took pity on them, and he raised up judges to save them. Today, we look at the first instance of this uh, uh, God sending a deliverer, the oppression that uh, came upon them and the deliverer that God provided. And uh, we want to consider uh, three things. First of all, uh, the origin of judges in general. Where do these judges come from? And uh, secondly, the uh, first oppressor. Uh, what is the significance of this man whose name is repeated over and over again in this passage? Obviously, his name means something, and uh, we should inquire into that. And uh, then uh, the first deliverer, uh, Othniel, what is he all about? Well, first of all, the, the origin of the judges. 
And the order of the judges is simply uh, the fulfillment of the idea that God uh, provides rulers for his people. In addition to the Israelites who were leaders in the realm of worship and uh, instruction in God's law, he provided uh, what we would call civil magistrates. Uh, They were a little bit more than what we know as civil magistrates because it was a a religious nation. It was uh, for the covenant community, so they had uh, spiritual responsibilities as well and uh, are somewhat uh, the origin of the office of uh, elder in the church. But uh, God provided these uh, civil rulers. The idea of civil rulers is nothing new when we read about it in the New Testament. The classic passage in the New Testament is Romans uh, 13, to be subject to, to the civil authorities, for they, uh, they represent God's authority, and if you rebel against them, you're rebelling against God. Well, so are these judges. Now, Moses was the, uh, the first judge. He was also a prophet, and he was also of the tribe of the Levites, so uh, he in some ways embodied all uh, the offices. But in Exodus 18, we see that uh, God appointed others to help him. As Exodus 18 is that passage where uh, the people line up in front of Moses uh, early in the morning, and uh, everybody... Uh, waits their turn to come and explain the problem they're having and seek a judgment from Moses. And from sunup to sundown, he's uh, taking one case after another. And when it's all over, Moses' father-in-law says, Moses, are you crazy? (laughs) What are you doing here? You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out. You need help. And uh, if it seems right to you, if it seems right to God, uh, you ought to appoint uh, helpers. And so Moses uh, we assume, inquired of God, and uh, it was indeed determined that he should appoint uh, uh, judges over thousands, uh, judges over hundreds, and judges over fifties, and judges over every uh, ten people. Now, at that time, uh, Israel numbered uh, 600,000 men, and if uh, the, uh, the, the judges are appointed according to the number of men, uh, that would be uh, 600 uh, judges over 1,000, uh, 6,000 judges over hundreds, 12,000 judges over the 50s, and 60,000 judges over groups of 10. Uh, do the math, that I think that comes out to 78,600 judges. A lot of judges to appoint. Uh, he didn't do this all by himself. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, it becomes clear that what Moses did is he said to the people, you choose uh, responsible people, uh, people who are honest and upright and don't, choose a bri- uh, don't uh, uh, take bribes and things like that. He, he asked them to, to choose their leaders, and then they did, and then Moses appointed them. It's... Uh, it's as if the congregation nominates them and then the uh, Moses uh, ordained them. That's interesting to, to see that pattern in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1 because it's the same pattern that you find in Acts 6 for the uh, first deacons. Uh, the apostles said, uh, choose for yourselves men who are full of the Holy Spirit and we will appoint them. So the congregation looks to see who has spiritual gifts and uh, then the, uh, the apostles anoint those people. There's a back and forth between the congregation and the leaders who are already there in terms of uh, selecting leaders. 
Almost all these judges were uh, regional in nature, uh, tribal, and then uh, within the tribes, uh, divided out and dispersed uh, throughout their tribal allotments. In Numbers 11, uh, Moses is particularly burdened by the people who crave meat, and he cries out to God, how can I bear this burden? And so uh, God uh, gives him uh, 70 special helpers, and he uh, God takes the spirit that is on Moses, uh, some of the spirit that is on Moses, and of course the spirit that is on Moses is the Holy Spirit who is God, who is infinite, so uh, taking some of that spirit doesn't mean that Moses has any less of it, but he, uh, he shares the spirit with uh, 70 of these leaders, probably five or six from each of the 12 tribes, and uh, uh, they also uh, help Moses. Uh, Samuel, who is probably the author of the book of Judges, is one of the last judges, uh, formally, informally, the, uh, the elders at the city gate continue to be, act like uh, local judges, judges over tens or judges over fifty, the, the elders at the city gate continue that kind of function, and uh, it even carries through into the New Testament with uh, the office of uh, elder. Now, the work of the judges was, uh, was twofold. Their primary duty and predominant duty was settling disputes. We we're sinners, and even in the covenant community, sadly, we don't get along the way we should, and sometimes we uh, act out and act badly, and uh, we sin against one another, and that needs to be taken care of. We can't let that go undealt with. Uh, God is a God of righteousness and a God of justice. He has called us to live righteous lives and justice, just lives, and uh, he gives us parents when we're little, and he gives us civil rulers uh, and uh, elders in the church uh, when we're older. Uh, so uh, they're there to, to keep good order and to uh, hold, hold people accountable for their misdeeds and to uh, exercise uh, discipline on behalf of God. Uh, that was their primary and predominant duty, but they also had special work from time to time, and that was to uh, protect God's people from God's enemies. In essence, uh, the, the ordinary judging they did was also protecting people from God's enemies. When God's own people acted like an enemy to one another, uh, they had to uh, settle those disputes. But uh, particularly the, the, the unbelieving world uh, was full of enemies, and uh, occasionally those enemies became a threat to life and limb and property. And so it was this, uh, God would raise up some of these judges to... Uh, uh, summon the people to battle and uh, lead the people in battling against the enemy and uh, that wicked oppression that uh, they experienced in the promised land. Most of the judges were not military leaders, but uh, those uh, that were were said to have saved Israel. If you read through the book of Judges, you'll see uh, from time to time that so-and-so judge uh, saved Israel. And you look at that word uh, saved in the uh, original language, its literal meaning is to make room. Uh, the judges made room for the people. Uh, they were oppressed in the promised land, and when they were oppressed, they didn't have any room. And uh, so they throw off the oppression, and then they have room again to, to thrive and to prosper. Uh, we sometimes uh, think about those who live in poverty 
they live in cramped and restrictive environments uh, that stifle and threaten life. Uh, prisoners live in jail cells that are very small. Uh, to be saved from poverty or to be saved from jail is to be taken out of those circumstances and, and given lots of room, room to grow, room to, to live, uh, room to thrive. And uh, that's what the Savior does. Uh, we are uh, in uh, restricted uh, conditions because of our sin. Sin holds us down and holds us back. Uh, remove that and we are able to grow and thrive and prosper in the kingdom of God. Uh, it meant being released from slavery in Egypt and uh, being brought into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And uh, Jesus says, in my Father's house, there are many rooms, many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you, to make room for you. He takes you out of the cramped prison cell of your sin and uh, brings you into the glorious liberty of the children of God and the kingdom of God, a place of eternal and abundant life. Now, judges were called to their office and equipped uh, for their office by God through the work of the Spirit. Uh, we don't read about this with regard to every judge, but uh, it is evident with regard to some, and if it's true with some, then it's uh, probably true of all. Uh, in Numbers 11, obviously, uh, it says there that God put his Spirit on them, and there were even two men who were separated from the other 68. Two of the 70 were separated in the congregation, but they didn't miss out on the Spirit. Uh, they uh, received the Spirit as well. And uh, in our text, uh, with regard to Othniel, in verse uh, 10, it says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And uh, if you know the story of uh, Samson, you know that uh, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him as well. And uh, when uh, Samuel anointed people with oil. That was uh, symbolic of uh, the Spirit of God being poured on them. These are Spirit-anointed people, and anointing means uh, equipping and appointing. And when uh, they were equipped by the Spirit, uh, they manifested spiritual gifts. And this is how the people knew who to nominate. They knew who to nominate because they would see people with spiritual gifts. And if they have spiritual gifts, they say, this is from God. And uh, this is the sign that God is uh, raising up these people to, to be our leaders. Uh, in some instances, uh, not only were the, the, gifts, of the gifts of leadership, uh, but uh, miraculous gifts. That was for when new revelation was being given. Miraculous gifts were given to, uh, to men to perform, to uh, prove that their message was a message from God. Because the scriptures are now complete, we don't have men giving, uh, giving miraculous uh, abilities, uh, not until there's uh, new revelation from God. And if anybody ever says to you they have a message to you from God, you should say to them, show me a miracle to prove that that uh, message is from God. And uh, generally, uh, almost always, uh, they're not able to, to do so unless uh, God indeed is about to bring this age to an end. Uh, Christ didn't begin his public ministry until he was uh, anointed with the Spirit, equipped and appointed by the Spirit. And uh, 
Uh, we choose our leaders also today on the basis of the manifestation of spiritual gifts. We look for the, the qualities that are uh, delineated in Scripture, in uh, Timothy and Titus and in the book of Acts, uh, where uh, we see what, what we ought to uh, look for in our leaders. Thus, the, uh, the judges are not self-appointed. Nobody just comes and says, I'm going to be your leader. Uh, they're chosen by God, they're equipped by God, they, God enables them to manifest uh, the fact that they are called and uh, uh, they are indeed uh, not self-appointed. Their power is uh, not absolute, of course. Uh, they, are, uh, they could not intrude on the work of other uh, priests. If they, if, if they uh, were not priests, they could not intrude on the work of a priest. Uh, and so forth. Uh, later on, the king would get in trouble when he tried to do priestly work and so forth. Um, they had to be subject to the words of the prophets. They had to be subject to God's law. And when they uh, disobeyed God's commands, they disqualified themselves and were punished, sometimes punished with death. Although their power was not absolute, their office was for life. Even when uh, Saul, who uh, kings are glorified judges, uh, Saul sinned against God, uh, uh, he uh, disqualified himself, but he remained king and David continued to honor him as king until his death. Now Christ is, uh, is our eternal king. He's the ultimate and the final judge, the judge of all the earth. And uh, these judges in their work foreshadow the work of Christ. Uh, every prophet, every priest, every king, every judge in the Old Testament foreshadows the work of our uh, chief prophet, uh, our only high priest, and our eternal king. And so when we see work that they do, uh, the good work that God has given them to do, when they, we see them doing that, uh, we get an idea of what Christ is doing for us. Uh, these judges judge, and we know that Christ has been entrusted with all judgment. God the Father has given all judgment to, to the Son. He is the judge of the living and the dead and uh, will one day uh, gather all people before him for that grace, last uh, judgment. And we know that Jesus is also a deliverer who uh, gives us space, who gives us room and uh, a place in his glorious kingdom. Of course, the big difference between the judges and Jesus is that the salvation that Jesus brings is perfect and complete. Our text uh, ends uh, tonight with uh, Othniel, the son of Kenes, died. <laughs> he uh, ruled for 40 years and then he died and it was over. And uh, things went bad again, things went sour again. But uh, Christ is risen from the dead, never to die again. And he is ruling now and putting all his enemies under his feet and he is going to bring in eternal salvation. Now the occasion for the first judge was the death of uh, Joshua and the oppression of uh, uh, Cushan Rishathiam. Um, this uh, first oppressor uh, is said to be a Mesopotamian. He's from Mesopotamia. Now that's significant. Mesopotamia is north and east of the promised land. It uh, enveloped a large area, what would later be called uh, Assyria, and also Babylon. Assyria was to the north, Babylon was to the east, and uh, Mesopotamia covered all of that, both Assyria and Babylon. That's significant because about 650 years later, 
um, the uh, northern tribes would be carried off by an Assyrian king and taken into captivity. And about 800 years after this, uh, the southern tribes, uh, Judah and uh, Jerusalem and so forth, they would be taken into uh, Babylonian captivity. So in the beginning of their time in the promised land, God sells them into slavery to those people who will one day at the end of uh, their history uh, enslave them again. Uh, God was uh, in essence uh, warning them, if uh, you forsake me, uh, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be uh, again under uh, Mesopotamia, off into Assyria and to, to Babylon. Now, they weren't uh, exiled at this time, but uh, the hint of it is certainly there when a Mesopotamian king comes and rules over them. Mesopotamia is also the place where Abraham came from. Ur the Chaldees was uh, in Mesopotamia. And uh, there is the threat of, of the covenant being undone. In fact, that's what uh, the Babylonian captivity 800 years later was all about. It was uh, God saying, you don't deserve to be in the promised land. You deserve to go right back to where Abraham was before I called him as if the, as if the covenant never existed. Now, God uh, even then didn't break the covenant, but he was sending a message to them. You deserve <laughs> uh, to, uh, to be back here. You deserve to, to be treated as if the covenant never happened. That's what Babylon was all about uh, 800 years later. But you have the hint of it already now in the first oppression uh, in the promised land. Uh, the king who is over Assyria and the king who is over uh, Babylon is the king who comes and oppresses them. Uh, Babylon was a, a center of wickedness. It uh, got its start by uh, people who wanted to make a name for themselves, uh, define their own existence, just like today people not content with what God created them to be want to uh, rename themselves and redefine themselves and recreate themselves. They want to make a name for themselves because they're not happy with the name that God has uh, given to them, the nature that God has given to them and so forth. Uh, when Israel sinned, uh, they deserved to go back there and uh, never be called out again. But God in his graciousness did call them back after 70 years. Now the name of this uh, oppressor, Cushan Rishathayim, means uh, the Cushite of double wickedness. Now that's probably not what he called himself. Uh, it's the name that uh, he is given in scripture, the name that uh, God gives him and the name that uh, the people of Israel knew him by. Uh, it means that uh, this oppression was uh, doubly uh, uh, oppressive. It was terrible. He was a wicked king. Uh, his, his, uh, he outdid all the others in, in wickedness. He was twice as bad as everybody else. And it made their bondage extremely onerous, extremely uh, uh, painful, extremely cruel. Uh, when Israel abandoned the Lord and worshipped idols, uh, God caused them to be enslaved to a wicked slave master who made life miserable for them, who was cruel to them. Well, that's a lesson, a lesson we need to learn, that, that if you turn your back on God... Uh, God will uh, cause you to be enslaved to uh, wickedness that will take all the fun out of life and make your life miserable. Uh, some are enslaved by their passions and pleasures and become uh, uh, addicted to uh, 
to pornography or addicted to alcohol or addicted to opioids or addicted to gambling or the lust for power or, or the love of money. And uh, if you become uh, addicted to these things, if these things uh, take control of your life and you are enslaved to them, it will just suck out all the joy from your life and you will be miserable, doubly miserable. It will make you, uh, sometimes uh, you may be, feel trapped in circumstances like poverty or the, uh, the welfare trap or uh, take on excessive debt and become uh, a slave to the money lender. And again, these uh, circumstances will suck all of the joy out of your life. If you abandon the Lord, he'll find some way to make you miserable and make you feel trapped and make you feel enslaved so that you can see no way out. But he does that because he loves you. And when you cry out to them, him, he hears you, he has pity, and he sends a deliverer. Israel groaned under Cushite of double wickedness, and God sent a deliverer, a savior, Othniel. He is a judge that God raised up. We read that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and uh, he uh, delivered Israel. Now, who is he? Well, uh, this isn't the first place that uh, we read about Othniel. Uh, he's uh, the hero in a love story that appears twice, once in the book of Judges and in, again in the uh, first uh, chapter of, uh, one in the book of Joshua and then in the first chapter of uh, Judges as well. Uh, he fought valiantly like a, a knight errant to win his bride. Uh, and uh, he showed himself a valiant soldier and a man of faith because you can only win uh, if you uh, trust the Lord. If you don't trust the Lord, he causes you to lose, but he, uh, he won the battles because he trusted the Lord and uh, showed himself to be a good leader. Uh, he comes from an interesting family. Uh, he's uh, Caleb, one of the 12 good spies, is said to be his uncle. Uh, and uh, Caleb is said to be uh, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Now, the, the Kenizzites were a group of people who lived in the promised land when Abraham came there. In uh, Genesis 15, verse 19, we read about uh, some of the tribes who were there, and the tribes include the Kenizzites and the Kenites, Kenizzites and Kenites are two tribes that are listed there. And interesting, when, the, when, when 400 years later, when uh, Moses and Joshua bring the people back to the land, those people are never mentioned again. They're not part of the, of the tribes that God said have to be wiped out. And the assumption is, and it's only an assumption, is that they uh, were a nomadic people and weren't there anymore. And that, uh, that assumption has some uh, credence because the Kenites, not the Kenizzites from whom Caleb was uh, descended, but the Kenites, who are mentioned along with the Kenizzites, uh, the Kenites are the family that Moses married into. Uh, his father-in-law was a Kenite, and when Moses uh, got his wife, uh, found the Kenites, they weren't in the Promised Land. They were uh, down south uh, near Mount Sinai uh, in the desert there. And so uh, they were a nomadic, the Kenites were a nomadic tribe. The Kenizzites may have been as well uh, because they're not mentioned when Israel goes back to the land. 
Well, the significance of this is that these Canaanites, they, they were in the land already before Abraham came, therefore they're not descended from Abraham. They're not uh, part of the, the covenant seed. But here's a, a Canaanite who is uh, an Israelite. The Canaanite, uh, Caleb's family, was uh, made a uh, member of the tribe of Judah. And in fact, uh, Moses chooses this convert to the faith, uh, an adopted son in the tribe of Judah. He makes him the representative to represent Judah when he sends the 12 spies into the promised land. Uh, again, it's a sign of uh, Gentiles being incorporated by faith uh, into the uh, people of God at a very early time in Israel's history. And uh, uh, Caleb and uh, his brother are descended from a Kenizzite, and of course uh, the nephew then is uh, from this tribe as well. And uh, he too becomes the first judge of uh, Israel after the death of Moses and Joshua. They were judges before him, to be sure. And uh, there were other judges, but he's the first one now mentioned in the book of Judges to be a deliverer of Israel, a convert to the faith, an adopted uh, son of the tribe of, uh, of Judah. Uh, scholars are not sure how to uh, translate his name. Uh, the last two letters, E-L, that's uh, the Hebrew name for God, El, or Elohim is the plural. Uh, El is uh, the God's name, and Othniel could mean uh, God is powerful, or uh, some say it means uh, Lion of God. Uh, perhaps his name means uh, God is like a powerful lion, which of course uh, again reminds us of Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, what did Othniel do? Well, we're not told anything about the battle. We're not told anything about battle tactics. We're not told anything about the size of either his army or any other details. All we know is that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him and he drove out the enemy so thoroughly that he established a peace that lasted 40 years, the span of a generation. That means he not only drove out the enemy, but he led Israel in such a way that they remained faithful to the Lord for 40 years. Uh, He's quite a leader. Uh, he was a, a brilliant uh, warrior. He was uh, a faithful judge, and his leadership uh, kept Israel faithful for many years. In a way, he should uh, make us think of uh, Revelation 18 and 19 that celebrates the fall of the wicked city of Babylon. Again, Mesopotamia uh, includes uh, Babylon and uh, Othniel drives out uh, that which represents Babylon. And so in Revelation 18 and 19, we see uh, a rider on a white horse coming and uh, driving out, uh, destroying the city of Babylon. And of course, that rider on the right horse is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Uh, apart from Christ, you and I are enslaved to sin and under the sentence de of death because of our sin, but Christ has come and he set us free as Othniel set the people free at that time. And uh, he has come uh, to give us a room, a place in his eternal kingdom, a kingdom of uh, righteousness and ever-increasing glory and peace. The fleeting pleasures of this life never fully satisfy, never satisfy at all. They are always uh, leave us empty and alone. 
but in Christ we have life, we have joy, we have peace in abundance in fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ and in the presence of our God through his spirit. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him and like uh, the ancients followed Othniel, you will be saved but with a safe, uh, safe salvation that lasts forever. It's uh, said interestingly at the end that Othniel gave the people rest. Uh, he gave them rest. You know, the book of Hebrews makes much of the, uh, the idea of rest for the people of God. It even says that Joshua didn't give uh, the people rest, so there yet remains a rest for the people of God, a Sabbath rest to the people of God. And of course, what it is all going back to is that in six days God made the heaven and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested from his labors, which means that not that he took a nap, but that he, he delighted himself in all that he had done. And uh, we are invited to join him in his eternal rest. And uh, part of the work of Jesus is to finally bring us into that eternal rest that uh, was uh, destined for the people of God. And again, uh, Othniel shows himself to be a, a type of Christ because he gave the people rest, which uh, points to the fullness of our salvation. Uh, Othniel gave them rest, but he died. But Jesus is alive and he is working. He is on the throne. He is putting all his enemies under his feet. And one day we shall all stand before him, the judge of all the earth. And if your sins are covered by his blood, that will be a glorious and wonderful day for you. May it so be. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Othniel. We thank you that uh, by the Spirit uh, he came and uh, did a great work, that you worked through him uh, and uh, gave him victory, a victory that uh, points us to the victory of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Oh, Father, we pray that you would show us the, uh, uh, the evil of uh, turning away from you and becoming enslaved to our passions and pleasures and uh, becoming enslaved to the circumstances of our life so that there is no pleasure in life. Help us, O oh Father, to be warned by this, to flee uh, to Christ by faith and trust in him alone and fix our hope not on the things of this world but on the grace that will be revealed when Christ comes again. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.